You don't like me. Well, I don't like you. It's normally how we respond to people who don't like us. God, however, calls us to a different standard altogether, as we'll see next. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today. Our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, continues with our survey of Romans, and we're looking at how we are to treat people who don't like us. Now, as we've mentioned before, it's real easy to treat with kindness those who are kind to us. But to use that same paradigm with people who don't like you, well, that's a different story altogether. That requires, what, dare I say, the Holy Spirit? Let's talk about this in detail, shall we, as we continue our survey of Romans. Here's Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. God the Son had the most, all kinds of emotional terms used to describe Christ. Anger, compassion was the most common one. Here, he weeps. Yes, he does. And he tells this grace, mercy community that you and I are part of, share care for each other's sorrows. I think one of the most touching things uh, I've ever seen, it wasn't dramatic, it was just touching. As the Foxes and I were in in Beirut, we went to this uh, uh, seminary that the Southern Baptists were turning over to Arab pastors uh, to, to run there in Beirut. And the war, the Hamas had been bombing and fronts of hotels were blown off and very dangerous, and had we not been with the person we were with, we couldn't even have gotten in. But we're there, and uh, while we're there, and it was hot, hot, and we're hanging out several days there, and the services are in Arabic, so we, we couldn't understand or understand the music, but knew these were brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, there happened to be an older woman around uh, the compound, and uh, one of us made inquiry about her. Who is she? And they say, oh, she's a Jewish woman. And yeah, this is an Arab camp, as it were. And we said, and what about her? And they said, well, she's our sister. She's lost her sight. She's blind. And we take care of her. And we, we get her where she needs to go. She lives among us. You see, in the body of Christ, ethnicity Social status, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, all of that stuff is supposed to be left at the door because in this mercy community, it doesn't matter. Gender should matter. There's distinct roles for men and women. But you don't want to treat a woman lesser than you'd treat a man, would you? In the body of Christ? As I go through the years... I often measure churches. I look around in the room to see if there's anybody that's minority. Because I'm always looking. The way you treat the minority is really whether you're a mercy community or not. If it's all men and there's no women, why aren't there any women? Well, they're too weak. We despise women. You're not a mercy community. Got any poor folks in your church? We don't allow for poor We're only running with folks that are power brokers that's got the money. Oh, is that right? Christ must not attend your church. He's sure not the head of it. And when I'm in South Carolina, 
I always look up blacks in a white church. And I went to a Southern Baptist church where my daughter was going. There was one black couple. I went and I said, I am so glad you're here. And they said, well, yeah, yeah, we're glad to be. I said, where are you from? Oakland, California. <laughs> well, no wonder you're here. Well, I'm, I, I'm from Richmond, California. What? I said, do you feel welcome? Yeah. I said, good. I'd tell the pastor if you didn't. I know this pastor. I'd say, if minorities aren't welcome, put the place out of business. It's not the church. It's not the church. It's a club. We're not a club. We're a church. And gender, you know, isn't it kind of interesting how we do politics in this country? Three months before the vote, everybody on the other side's an idiot. Everybody on the other side, we disdain, and then all of a sudden, we got to salute them. And we got to drop all of our weapons. And, you know, we better work together for the next four years, and who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, all of this stuff that just devours Christians. He says, Here, we're in a community where we mind the same thing. We live in harmony. We seek that harmony. Then the greatest way to have harmony is quit being stuck on yourself. The third thing, bless, number one. Bless is what we want to do. Two, care for others. Three, be humble. And this is a miracle once we ever achieve it. And you'll know that you won't always be a miracle because you never achieve it. You're always working at it. But he said... Do not be proud. The Old Testament word for fool meant an inflated estimation of oneself. They used the word halal to be the Hebrew word for worship, lift up God. It was used of the Old Testament fool, lifted up in his estimation. You cannot teach a fool because there's nothing you know that he needs to know. He knows everything. So he says, don't be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And there's, when we walk in humility, uh, we do not overrate ourselves, nor do we look down on the other. And, uh, you know, it's quite interesting. The New Testament church, oftentimes a slave could be the pastor and the master attend the church he pastored. The slave could be the believer. And the master attends an assembly. It, it crossed all kinds of social economic grounds. And he says, we are a people in this community that walk in with our head bowed that God had mercy on us. And we're here to dispense mercy, not to be puffed up that we're superior to anyone. Isn't that true? You're not superior to anyone in this room if you're walking in mercy and humility. You're not superior. Did you know men with the IQ of 140 crucified Christ? So Paul writing to the Corinthians who were very influenced by Athens and all the smarties and all the brains of the age, the philosophers of the age. He said, for the world by wisdom knew not God, but killed God in the name of intelligentsia. So we don't bow before PhDs or education because brilliance of IQ doesn't mean you know God at all. 
Nietzsche was brilliant, and he said you can kill people when they get in your way, and Hitler bought it. He was the philosopher that preceded Hitler's massacres. I had just re- been reading a book written by a French Catholic priest. My sister gave me uh, Killed by Bullets, telling about how under Hitler, the Germans went into the Ukraine and tried to eliminate every Jewish community they could. And these are interviews with the surviving Ukrainians who witnessed the killings. Some moving, moving portraits, especially when he said they would dig pits that could kill 10,000 people and bury them. And then they would have the Ukrainians throw sand on them. And sometimes the pit didn't stop moving for two days because people were still dying. Every Jewish community, if we could eliminate it in the Ukraine, and he interviews all these people, and then all of a sudden you find out that in Christ such atrocities must never happen. Our great tragedies in history is when we persecute it. When we become the persecutor, we always have been chosen to be persecuted. Never are we to persecute. Ethnicity, race, social status, gender. We don't even want to kill unborn babies. We want to fight for the weakest person in the room. And today, the weakest person in the room is a baby growing in a womb that a doctor says I can eliminate. We want to fight for the weakest person in the room. Well, he goes on. He says we ought to live in peace. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And we all know it's not possible to live at peace with everyone. They won't let you. But I want to ask you this. When you come in the room, is there peace? Or does the tension double? When you show up, have you seen some people who have a calming effect when they show up? They just have a calming effect. Uh... And there's other people, when they show up, everything starts doubling. Everybody's on edge. What is it? See, the, the more anger you have, the more control you have. Angry people control. Peaceful people don't have to control. They can just enjoy you. We are to be people of peace and say, on the job, in the home, wherever they go, seems to be a spirit of peace when they're in charge, when they, have, when they can control the environment. Some are not going to buy that for sure. And uh, uh, they, they'd rather fight than switch, you know. Then he says, be good to our enemies. Uh, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay taken out of Deuteronomy 32, and he said, Their feet shall slip in due time. The famous sermon of Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is taken from this text. In due time, their feet shall slip. Uh, Haman, you want to kill off Mordecai? In time, you'll die on your own gallows. Herod, Do you want to 
eliminate the Christ child and you want to accept the adoration of being a God, in time, your own bowels will be emptied from you and you'll die in a public disgrace. God's judgment may be slow, but it grinds exceedingly fine. Ahab, Jezebel, Ahab, you want to take Naboth's vineyard? Someday in a battle, they're going to just, Jehu and his men, they're going to just shoot an arrow and let it fly. And as it flies, peradventure, as King James, peradventure, it finds an opening in the armor and boom, it makes its target and you bleed to death. And then Jehu's going to ride in town and say, cast Jezebel off that wall or I'll raise the city. They throw her down. He goes in to have a beer. And by the time he gets out, the dogs are eating her up. Just know God knows how to settle score. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God for judgment. He's just told his people, that's my department, not yours. Leave vengeance to me. Can you imagine a man paying eternity for his sins? Why would we want to add a moment's more suffering? Let God take care of them. Let God take care of them. He said, matter of fact, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire upon the head, which is a brutal statement if you don't understand it. It sounds like it's scourging him, uh, catching him on fire. But the saying comes, it's an Egyptian saying that a man stole money, was caught, and to bear public shame and disgrace for it, he gets a pan of coals, puts it on his head, and he walks through the community and saying, I, the shame I bear is like these burning coals. It's burning on my conscience. I'm shamed by my stealing. And the idea here is, let good shame evil men. He's sure not asking us to be, do something that creates bad for them. Let our good be the greatest shame of those who wish us evil. Then he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, if you tell off one more person or get even, the world is full of that. What it's starving for is good in place of evil. Let me give you two examples. Look at First uh, Peter to see how Christ handled his enemies. I, in the outline, I, I did the second part. I want to do the first. I just want to give you an example. First uh, Peter 2.21. He's telling slaves that they're suffering under unjust masters to bear up because Christ suffered for them, leaving an example. And listen to what he did with his enemies. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges, notice there's vengeance, judges justly. God, it's not that they get away with it, but God's got a time that he will deal with 
ungodly, evil men. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Who wounded Christ? Good men or sinful men? Hey, I can't hear you. Speak up. Good. Sinful men. They inflicted wounds. What does he give? Healing. You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why was Christ on the cross? We had gone astray. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We ever one have turned to our own way. But the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our going astray is what got Christ on the cross. And his cross work was his shepherding work to bring us back to God. When we were doing him evil, he was doing us good. When we were inflicting wounds, he was bringing healing. I ask you this. Do you remember when you were an enemy of God? Any former enemies of God in the room? Yeah, every one of you, all of us, were formerly enemies of God. And listen to what he did for you when you were his enemy. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Had no use for God. Anybody a former atheist? Anybody formerly ungodly? Okay. Okay. Just want to know I'm preaching to sinners and not angels. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. I mean, the person that's always right, you usually can't stand. So you can't get anyone to die for them. But if you're a nice, good person, someone just might die for you. But what if you're an enemy? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Wait, is that true? While we were still in the act of our sinning, Christ died for us. Wait, I'm doing the worst thing in God's sight I could be doing. Sinning, breaking his law. No matter, does it name the sin? It was every variety of sin there. While I was sinning, Christ died for me. Is that good for evil? Now listen. Since we have now been justified, declared righteous by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have he been reconciled? Shall we be saved through his life? You see, Christ loved you and I when we were his enemies. He did us good when we were doing him bad. Christ himself, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, let this thief go to paradise. The same thief that had been cursing him and all of a sudden he said, this might be the son of God. And Christ said, today I want to let you go to paradise. Today. I challenge you, saints, 
that the greatest thing our world needs is the love of God through people who receive mercy. Let's, some Christians get a bitter tone about them. They're always known about what they're against and never about what they're for. Are you against everything and hardly for nothing? It's like in the pulpit. Some of you, you'd have me against something every week. Are you going to speak on this? Are you going to speak again? Well, you need to take a stand on this. How about just standing for the word of God? And whatever the word of God says, we say. Wherever it falls, it falls. How are you treating your enemies? How are you treating your enemies? Now, you know what most of us do? Here's the truth now. I'm staying out of their way. Well, that's okay. Have you fed any of them? Feed them. You're kidding. Have you alleviated any needs? You've got to be kidding. I'm not kidding. Neither is God. Is your Christianity superior to the Pharisees' religion? It's not until you love your enemies. And uh, I love what C.S. Lewis said once. He said, never sit around pondering whether you love or not. Don't wait till it just, it's just going to come all over me and I'm going to love you. No, it won't come all over you. That doesn't even happen in marriage, does it? You've been married 25 years, all of a sudden, oh, I can't help it, I'm just so in love. No, it didn't work that way, honey. You've been married 25 days, you don't know what you're talking about. You've got to say, I'm going to love them. It's not, who I'm, I got married in a fever. Yeah, we know you did. But the, the winds have cooled off the fever. Lewis says, act as though you love them, and soon you'll find yourself loving them. It's chosen behavior. It's the will, not the emotions, that enable us to love. Choose to love first. Don't worry about the emotion. God knows he doesn't expect it. Oh, I'm so drawn to my enemies. Are you kidding? We are not. The idea is how do we respond to them? Don't give back that which hurts. A great story that came out of uh, the Cold War in Berlin. Uh, when East Berlin and West Berlin were separated by the wall, uh, the East Berliners wanted to do something spiteful and uh, out of the way. So they loaded a uh, garbage truck full of garbage and they backed it up right at the east-west wall at where they crossed over and they unloaded a truckload of garbage. And it really riled the West Berliners and they were upset, this outrage, and they wondered how to get back. And they came up with this idea and they did it. They loaded a truck with canned goods, groceries, uh, non-perishables that you could use, and they came right back to where they had unloaded the garbage. And they unloaded all this food, all these good things. And then they put a sign in the middle that said, each gives what each possesses. Don't pull up your garbage truck and unload garbage on the enemy. They need good news. They need mercy. And God's appointed you and I to be people of mercy. Working our way through Romans, this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We trust today's broadcast has been enlightening, and especially as we see our desperate need for the gospel. 
As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to his knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call, 855 833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855- 833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Phil Howard.